Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Most people call me Q Ward. There are a couple of people that call me Quentin. And I've started to notice the young people call me Mr. Quentin, which is really not sitting well with me. We're going to have to figure <laughs> out how to, I don't know if I got to start dressing different or what. But hey, I had man. a couple 20-somethings call me Mr. Quentin today. And I'm like, wait now, wait. Hey, it's because you can like, the, like, the, like <laughs> the crossing signal. Wait, <laughs> I'm like, I'm Mister. I'll hold on now, Mister Quentin. I don't, yeah, Mister is my dad. I was, I was not ready. Oh uh, well, these, uh, these was young adults calling me Mister Quentin. Hey man, you know it's bound to happen, man. So, uh, you know, take it as it comes. But um, yeah, man, uh, glad to be back in here with you doing another episode of Civic Cypher. Of course, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, got yes, a mixed bag today. Do. Mixed bag. Uh, you know, got to talk about the written house. That's a way to put it. Verdict. Yes, written house verdict. Um, last week we weren't able to touch on that because of our recording schedule and you know the way you know our our, our airing schedule. Um, but definitely going to dive into that. And of course, uh, we got the um, verdict from the Ahmad Aubrey trial as well. So we're going to um, examine that. Uh, so so for those that didn't know, that's why I meant we got a mixed bag today. Um, and another couple of things that I feel are going to be pretty informative um, are way black history. fact, we're going to uh, examine the origins of policing in this country um, and uh, lots of other neat little things to uh, stick around for. Uh, so uh, like we always do at this time, let's uh, not dawdle any further and get into some ebony excellence. That sound good to you, Q? Let's go. All right. So today we're going to talk about a young lady named Deja Taylor. Um, shout out to the whole Taylor gang one time, if you don't mind. Uh, and I'll read this briefly. Um, at just 17 years old, Deja Taylor became a nationally recognized scientist by creating color-changing sutures that detect infection. Uh, her invention was centered around equity, her main career focus, and making this life-saving medical technology accessible to everyone. And basically what she uses is beets, and they change colors at different pH levels. Um, and what they'll do is they'll let you know if there's an infection um, because of the acidity in the skin versus the acidity of an infection or something like that. Um, but the long and the short of it is her research project landed her among the top 40 finalists in the Regeneron Science Talent Search, the country's oldest and most prestigious science and math competition for high school seniors. And she's currently seeking a patent for her invention and plans to continue her research to ensure these life-saving sutures help people. Uh, Deja recently graduated from Iowa City West High School in Iowa City and will be attending the University of Iowa in the fall. And of course she is black and so she, she is, is this week's the, example. She is the truth. Absolutely. And I wish you could when see I was, When I was 17, Ramses, <laughs> I was at Meyer. I don't know if y'all even heard of that store, but I was at Meyer's trying to find stuff for my dorm room. This young lady is changing the world. Is a scientist <laughs> inventing things to actually change the world. And and that's I was trying to I was trying to find a shower caddy. 
Well, that's the reason why we wanted to make sure to give credit where it's due. Um, definitely in wow. Ebony Excellence. Shout out to Deja Taylor. So moving on. Uh, first things first. Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, you and I have avoided talking this whole week um, because... I knew that you wanted to, you, you had a lot of feelings about the Rittenhouse trial. So in brief, how do you feel about the verdict? So we had not spoken about this because you wanted the first time I talked about it to be on our show. Yes. But one thing I did express to you was that I would not be able to express on our show how I actually feel because our show has to be able to be broadcast on the radio. And some of the things that I want to say and some of the things that I feel would not be appropriate on FCC airwaves. So I'll start with saying something that may sound very obvious and simple. And that's just that I'm really, really disappointed. I'm having a harder and harder time being positive, being optimistic, being hopeful. When I have so much evidence presented to me that I'm being foolhardy in thinking that things like justice and fairness for to, to think that there's a level of accountability that will ever be prescribed to people like Kyle Rittenhouse. Okay. And the idea that this kid's mother would put him in a car with an assault rifle, drive him to a protest, have him murder people, him walk by the police with the murder weapon, make it home safe and sound, go to trial and be acquitted of all charges. I wish I could say it was the most insane and ridiculous thing I'd ever seen or heard. Unfortunately, it's not. Unfortunately, before the verdict was read, I knew what it was going to be. And there shouldn't have even been a chance of that being true. You and I had discussions before when we say Black Lives Matter and when we protest and when we ask for justice and fairness, we are not saying treat other people more harshly. We're saying have the same grace have the same understanding, the same compassion, and the same empathy for us. And that's why we always draw conclusions and, and give examples of any story like this one where Kyle is not a white man, a white kid, but a black kid. And we know how that would have turned out because we've seen black kids get murdered by police officers for playing with toy guns. Kyle Rittenhouse, after murdering people, got to walk by police with the murder weapon, and I think be given a bottle of water and be saluted and, and greeted. And then after murdering people, 
treated like a hero, going to bars and to clubhouses and shaking hands and posing for pictures, throwing up white supremacist signs. And then he gets to go to court and pretend that he's so remorseful that he can't contain his tears. That crying performance he did where there were no actual tears, but a lot of noise and a lot of performance. Um, when, that, when that was not laughed at, right? When that was not pointed out as a performance that looked ridiculous, but accepted as a kid that was really sorry, it was very clear to me how it was going to play out. And I am trying to remain as subdued and calm because I think the way that we speak about this will only be received if it's spoken in this tone. I can't yell and curse like I want to because the level of anger, the level of, the level of discouragement, the level of just emotional exhaustion that comes with watching things like this happen over and over again it starts to feel like, okay, so who am I even talking to here? What am I even doing here? Are, are we and people like us making any difference at all? Well, let me, let me add, let me, let me jump in right here. So for me, I'll say the same thing. You know, I wasn't surprised by it um, based on how, the judge was handling the situation. And then now there are people on the other side that said the judge was being fair, right? When? But, but, you know, there are a lot of examples that suggest that the judge might have been partial toward, you know, uh, a viewpoint that is similar or consistent to those of, written house right but in terms of where do we go from here i want to take a moment on our show because this show does exist in the spaces where it exists to empower folks who are or have been in the past or will be in the future allies to black people to brown people to all people right to fight alongside their brothers and sisters, a fight that is not necessarily theirs, right? And what we see here um, is, I'm saying this just to be funny because it doesn't exist, but what we're seeing here is white on white crime. The reason why it resonates with you and me is because we know that those people who lost their lives and the other person who was shot, they, the reason they were out there was to um, protest, was to stand up for the mistreatment of black people by the police. And, you know, for those people to come out there because Jacob Blake was shot in the back and say, this was wrong. You should not do this to these people. These are our countrymen. These are our brothers and sisters. For them to show up and fight a fight that wasn't theirs and to lose their lives on that quote unquote battlefield for us, for my son, for my sons, for your son and your daughter. I feel like on our show, we need to take a moment and salute those people who have been, are currently, 
and would be allies to black and brown people to acknowledge how scary that must feel to know that the precedent has been set that a person who in theory would be a mass shooter who else walks around with an assault rifle you know other than a mass shooter you know or a soldier in a foreign country but that person could end your life for standing up for your brother Ramses and your brother Q Ward and their children. It could end your life and walk, walk away from it because of some manufactured sense of uh, fearing for your life or whatever the case is. I acknowledge that it must be a scary time for our white allies and for, for, for people whose fight this isn't. You know, it's not your fight. And I wanted to say thank you. Keep the faith. Stay strong. And in this moment, I'm standing with you. I'm going to keep that energy. I remember you, all you different people, people with turbans, people that didn't speak the language, people from all colors, from all walks of life out there marching in 2020. I remember that. So when one of our soldiers fall, you show up. How about this? One of your soldiers fall, I show up. And I know it's not the same with the ranks, you know, in terms of, you know, white folks or whatever. That's just kind of a it might feel a little different, but, you know, I'm going to keep that energy. Nonetheless, I'm going to acknowledge what happened. And I'm going to say that my heart goes out to anybody that's feeling a little bit more scared, feeling a little bit more vulnerable and reminding you how much we appreciate you. Those people that, that lost their lives. I have their names here. Matter of fact, hold on. Um, the, the man with the gun that lived, his name is Gage gross crutes i want to say thank you for him you know he and you know it's funny because you know the, on the right they say you know the only thing only only thing that could stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun and he had a gun he got shot he lived but he did have a gun um and so everybody trying to villainize that guy on the right you know for doing exactly what they preach is that's kind of hypocritical but there was a 36 year old named joseph rosenbaum uh, and a 26-year-old named Anthony Huber, uh, and they both lost their lives trying to make the world a better place, shouting Black Lives Matter in the last few moments of their lives. And for me, that needs to be um, acknowledged, and, you know, I salute you. Um, while I have this moment, uh, there's another couple of names. I, you know, before we had this show, I would, you know, do little posts here and there on Facebook or wherever else just to make sure that you know, people knew. And I know that all these people, your your these names I'm mentioning, you know, I don't know if my voice transcends, you know, to the afterlife, you know, but you know, I want you to know that your life is more than your death, but I will say your name. Heather Hayer, uh, who was the 32-year-old woman who died in Charlottesville when the when the man drove his, I think it was a charger or a challenger or something into a crowd of protesters. This was the tiki torch when that day happened. Um, in uh, Virginia, I went to her college um, and I saw where she had her last moments, you know, and she she was out there protesting for black people as a white woman. She lost her life that day fighting a fight that was not her fight. And I appreciate her. And I want to say her name on this show. Um, Summer Taylor, she was 24 years old when she when she lost her life and she was hit by a car uh, that ran through a barricade in Seattle. You remember when folks used to get on the freeway and slow down traffic just to bring attention to what was happening. 
You know, she she's the one that paid for her for that with her life on that day. White woman. Again, Summer Taylor. If you if my voice transcends, you know, just I know y'all hear me in speakers or whatever. I might sound a little crazy, but, you know, I salute you, Summer. I appreciate your sacrifice and, and I, I appreciate, you know, what you stood for and what you fell for. And you deserve to be remembered and, and acknowledged. And maybe other folks ain't doing it. But, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, we take a moment to just say thank you to people who are not black, who are championing helping champion a black agenda or a fair agenda. You know, it's not necessarily a black agenda. It's a human agenda, but you know, these people pay for with their lives. And again, your life is more than your death. Um, Anyway, back to Rittenhouse. So now that we've acknowledged, you know, what's happened there, I'm going to take you through the things that I felt were kind of funny style. So, the jury has uh, one black person. And I know in that part of the country, maybe it's not the population doesn't, you know, skew that way. And, you know, the court system, you know, there's a lot, you know, the, the thing is court systems are wildly inconsistent across the board. You know, we're, we're talking about this today because, you know, in the next half of the show, we have to talk about Ahmaud Arbery, which for most folks who see the world the same way we do would say that that's a desirable outcome. Um, but the jury has one black person, you know, um, the, the, the judge said that the prosecutors, uh, could not refer to deceased victims to the deceased as victims, but the defense could refer to them as arsonists and looters, which may or may not have been true. And rioters. Sure. You know, so that that shows you a little bit of bias there. I mean, to me, a right? lot of bit of bias. So um, I mean, I'm just trying to be a little conservative because I got a long list here. You know, it paint the picture paints itself. Um, when the judge dismissed the underage weapons charge because of a hunting exemption, and I don't believe this man was out there hunting. You know, but that oh no, was, he was hunting. But you know, hunting animals. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, he was, he was, he was hunting. hunting. That's why you, you drive know, across state lines with an AR-15 to hunt. You know, the crazy thing is that um, I forgot what the defense said, but they, they said something to the effect of, or sorry, the prosecution, they, they said something to the effect of you can't claim self-defense from a, like a, a an incident that you created, you know, and this guy yeah, run up on up, somebody with your gun. Yeah, they defend themselves and you shoot them and then say it was self-defense for right. you. And, and, and then when you frame the, the climate of the country, remember, this is 2020. Now we're two years after, you know, there being a mass shooting every week. But when we're one year past it, everybody was waiting for the next one. And a lot of us in the streets was like, yo, one of these dudes is going to show up with a with an AR and try to mow us down out here marching with these signs, right? So I know that that's what these folks had to be thinking. As soon as they saw this kid with his hat turned back, you know, and his AR-15 walking around the streets, oh my God, he's going to start killing people. We need to take action, right? And then that's exactly what the, the, the right suggests that you do. You know, the only thing that could stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Or, you know, if I would have been there, I would have, you know. So... It's it's 
it feels very unfair. Um, and then another thing, one of the men, one of the men who tried to stop him from killing people is now being charged. See, I didn't even know that. Huh. Oh, okay. I'll save that for another show. Uh, well, man, we well listen. Okay, well, back to the judge. Um, so the judge's phone it rang with uh, "God bless the USA." This is something that they talked about in a lot of the articles. It, it, it you know, it's a very patriotic ring, uh, ringtone rather. And you know, we talk about that a lot on this show. You know, we're Americans, proud to be American, until we get around some like people that's like to the nth degree American and you start feeling a little uncomfortable because they have a different sense of what America is than, you know, folks like us. We feel like America is where we live. They feel like America is where they live and where we have encroached upon their, you know, something like that. We think America is where we live and where we're from. They think America is who they are. Uh, that, thank you for saying that. Very, very different mindset. Yeah. That would have never got it that good. You nailed that. Um, and so when you hear that the judge has this really ultra patriotic ringtone, okay, that tends to be associated with folks who are very conservative, very right wing, right leaning, First Amendment, Second Amendment, you know, those sorts of folks. Um, and uh, it, it feels like the judge really fixed this trial up to give him the best possible outcome. And, you know, there was a lot that people made a big deal out of, okay, they they drew names for the jurors from hats or whatever. The judge was like, yo, I do that every trial. You know, um, there's a lot of things that they tried to pick apart with the judge. And he was like, nope, I'm consistent across the board. And he was allowed to hide behind that. Um, But these things, I think folks should have made a much bigger deal out of because I think those really help paint the picture of, okay, are we going to see some accountability here or is this child, he was at the time, going to be able to murder people and get off with it? And, you know, they're championing this guy like he's just the second coming. And the crazy thing about it, as soon as he got released, he was like, yeah, man, I'm a big fan of BLM. And I was like, really? You know, uh, it could have fooled me. He he was out there to with an AR-15 to defend a a business that wasn't his, that was empty, empty. I think it was an empty used car lot or something. In a city and state that he didn't live in. He didn't live in that wasn't his. Isn't that wild? And and the thing is, two two human beings, their heart is not beating anymore. They're buried in the ground now, or otherwise cremated extinguished life extinguished and no accountability for that and it's such a hurtful thing because i recognize that we have a way to go to get where everything is kumbaya and peaceful and copacetic across the board and all the systems that are oppressive have been dismantled or and challenged in ways that have caused them to you know, mature and be more um, beneficial to more people, right? But on this journey, we need folks to to be allies to us. And what this does is this causes even our allies to stop and say, whoa, all this privilege I thought I was sharing with my black and brown brothers and sisters, you know, it does have a 
you know, if, if I come up against a conservative judge, my privilege doesn't go beyond me, me being liberal, you know, and that's a part that's really scary. And a part, you know, I don't I don't want to just look at it like it's politics. I really do want to heed the gravity of the loss of human life in this situation um, and just make sure that we acknowledge that. But, you know, this is another page in the book of, of America. You know, OJ, when OJ got off, a lot of people were upset about that. And this guy gets off. A lot of people are upset about that. And for better or worse, we're writing the story where these are the times of our lives. You know, these are the days of our lives, uh, to, to quote a popular uh, saying. And, you know, it's up to us to not be disheartened. It's up to us to acknowledge, feel, and, you know, forge ahead. And hopefully we'll continue to do that together as, as brothers and sisters. You know, that's always going to be my I try my that's, best, but it's hard. It is. But that's all. That's really all we got. And you consider the alternative is to roll over and die. But stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.